All right, I hope you have your Bibles in front of you, and if you do, open to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We are actually going to finish up Romans chapter 1 this morning. But as we do, please bear in mind that Paul will continue all the way into chapter 3 on his current discussion about the sinfulness, or if you will, the depravity of man. Even though he actually started this, 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 uh, this study, if you will, in chapter 1, verse 18, sadly, there's a whole lot to say about man's wickedness and certainly how desperate we are for a Savior. Now, that being said, um, please don't forget that the ugliness of man, which we have seen a lot of so far, and we will continue to see it for the weeks ahead, but the ugliness... Um, uh, of man, it also, okay, it also shows the mercy and the grace of God. It actually puts it on full display. The uglier, the more wicked man is, the mercy and the grace of God is put on full display. Because despite the fact that man rejects God, man lives their lives in outright rebellion against God, God is willing to forgive them if they would turn in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, and surrender to Him. So no matter how ugly it gets and how depressed it gets sometimes as we see the heart of man, uh, focus your mind, think about that, that God's grace is greater. God's offer of forgiveness is greater than all the sin that we see as we go throughout our text. Now here in chapter 1, we're in the middle of a section that really digs into the heart of man, and as some of you have noticed, it isn't good. Matter of fact, man so much wants absolutely nothing to do with a holy God. We saw in verse 24, the first of three times where Paul said, God gave them over, okay? And those words are basically saying, God gave them over, to themselves, okay? It's God's response saying, look it, if you want to live your life in outright immorality, if that is what you want, and therefore you want me out of the picture, God says, fine, fine, you can have it. In other words, giving them over means God has pulled back his restraint. He has abandoned them to themselves to do whatever shameful act their hearts desire. God is, is going to allow mankind to go on this destructive course, where the longer they're on this road, the worse the end result will be. Everything around them will continue to crumble. Because you know it's bad when man says, this is what I want. That's the way I want to live. This is, this is how I want to follow society. And God says, all right, all right, go ahead. Say, it's a very, very sad note. And once again, they don't recognize there are consequences for this direction. So that being understood, the first thing God gave them over to, you see that in verse 24. He says, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. 
I said before, folks, that God created marriage. God also defined marriage. And God said that sex is a great thing as long as it's within the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman. And therefore, keep in mind, anything outside of that violates God's holy standards. Okay? Now, the problem that man has is holy or not, they don't like it. They don't like God's standards. It is too restricting. I want to do what I want and with whom I want. Man wants to be free to fulfill any sexual desire that they have. You might say it this way, man wants what God forbids. It's as simple as that. God forbids it, I want it. And they strive for that. And therefore, in their sinful freedom, man pursues sexual pleasure outside marriage with their boyfriends and girlfriends, with one-night stands, with the flirty co-worker. They deal with pornography. Now we're into sexting. And sadly, our society can just keep going on and on. The more they have, the more technology, the more opportunity, the more they take. It's a very sad note. The next step into sexual degeneracy, where once again, Paul says, God gave them over. Okay, God is once again allowing them uh, to go this, this shameful way. You'll find that in verses 26 and 27. And he says this. It says, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion." So now we see here, as we move forward a couple verses, man has gone from what is natural and yet sinful to what is unnatural and yet sinful. So Paul makes it very clear in these verses that what is natural is a man and a woman. What is unnatural, which is defined as what is contrary to nature, okay, he says, is when someone hooks up with somebody who is of the same sex, okay? It is called unnatural. Now, here in these two verses, that kind of relationship, you'll notice that Paul calls shameful. He calls it unnatural. He calls it indecent. He actually also calls it a perversion or erroneous, okay? In Leviticus uh, chapter 18, verse 22, God commanded Israel against homosexuality, and he calls it there an abomination. A very, very strong word. Okay, So there's no question the thought that God has in view of this sexual activity. Now, the two points that we have made so far, just in these four verses heterosexual, notice I said heterosexual, heterosexual sex outside of marriage, just as much as homosexuality, both of them are under this umbrella 
that the scriptures call sexual immorality or maybe fornication. Both of those, okay? I know we hear a lot more of one, even though all of it's being pushed in our society, okay? But heterosexual sex outside of that marriage covenant between a man and a woman is sin, and so is homosexuality. It's under that same umbrella, fornication, that which is sexually immoral, okay? Here, I think what takes, takes us to the next level, which is homosexuality, is because it is unnatural. It's, it's not according to nature, okay? R.C.H. Linsky says, the moment God is taken out of control of man's life, the stench of sex aberration is bound to arise. In other words, removal of God is the cause Okay? That's the cause. Sexual aberration is the effect. It starts when you remove God. It starts when you take God out of the picture, you reject Him, you turn from Him. When He is nowhere to be found, sexual aberration is going to happen. Okay? In Genesis chapter 2, it says that God's creation was a man and a woman. It was for a husband, and a wife. Now, folks, just because our society uh, may approve of homosexuality, and of course, think about that. You have a sinful, perverted, twisted, corrupt society who approves homosexuality, folks. It doesn't make it right. I know everybody here, I'm singing to the choir, but that doesn't make anything right. It's just like any sin. It doesn't matter what sin is legalized. It doesn't matter what sin is promoted in our culture. The standard is not our culture. The standard, doesn't, the standard of, of morality and truth doesn't come from a sinful culture. It comes from Almighty God. Folks, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for that very reason of homosexuality. Jude, verse 7, confirms it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us that homosexuality is one of many sins, is one of many lifestyles where it says that person will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not just one. It's not just just homosexuality. It's many sins, but they're listed in there as a sinful act, and the person living that life will not inherit the kingdom of God. The great news, of course, is at the very end of that text. It also tells us, like any sin, no matter what the sin is, it is forgivable through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is forgivable if you come to faith and trust in Him. And there are many people, heterosexual as well as homosexuals, who have turned from their lives, repented, and, and turned to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So even though this is unnatural, uh, in all those different words I read, shameful, indecent, all those things, it is forgivable. That person can become a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Now, as we move from here, and we're going to go into verses 28 through 32 this morning, which will be finishing the chapter, we're going to see one more time where it says here that God gave them over to their sin, okay? They wanted it, and God left them to it. Fine, go for it, and don't forget, there are going to be consequences. 
Now this time, though, it will not be restricted to only sexual vices, which is what we've just studied for the last couple of weeks, but now you're going to see an entire litany of humanity's rebellion. This is probably the largest text in Scripture, uh, and it's still not exhaustive, but the largest text in Scripture which, which lists so much sin, the sin of man. But let's read that, verses 28 through 32. Paul says, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. This, by the way, is what I mentioned early on, the reprobate mind, which really comes from the KJV. This is that section. He says he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Although they know God's righteous decree and those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. So before Paul gets into what I would simply call this this, this catalog of depravity, I want you to notice once again where this started. Look at the first half of verse 28. It says, since they did not think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. That's where it begins. Now, folks, to understand this, I want to drop back and I want to read verses 18 through 20, which is kind of where we all started here. Starting in verse 18, he says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the godlessness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And notice, by the way, he didn't say that they never received the truth. He never said they, 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 never, they, they didn't hear the truth, they didn't have the truth. He said they suppressed the truth. If you will, they hindered the truth. Okay? Verse 19, it says, Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, which are his eternal power and divine nature, he says they have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made or created, so that men are without excuse. Creation, he says, bears witness to its creator, okay? And the evidence, these are the words of God, the evidence, he says, is plain to them. God's purposefully trying to help us out. He made it plain. He didn't hide it. He didn't say, look behind a tree. He made it plain to them. He says it is so plain to man that they're without excuse. There is no excuse. Verse 20, he says, in creation, God's invisible qualities, notice the words again, have been clearly seen, okay? God purposefully revealed himself 
through creation. Folks, even King David figured this out a thousand years before this text was even written. And you all know this, Psalm 19, right? The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Notice that. The heavens declare, the heavens shout out, the heavens proclaim the glory of chance? No. The glory of evolution? No. They declare the glory of Almighty God. David figured that out. He didn't even have to read this because he understood just that. See? So here, as we can see in verses 18 through 23, they did not examine the evidence that was directly in front of them. Okay? They really did not want to believe in God because, as we just read, they wanted to fulfill their sinful desires. The last thing I want to deal with is a holy God, a holy God that has holy standards, moral standards. I don't want none of that. I want to fulfill this. I like my sin. They put out of their minds anything that had to do with a holy God. And even though it says it was plain to them, once again, there's no excuse. See. Now listen, this was the problem that is mentioned in verse 28. See, once again, he says, since they did not think that it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he says. They didn't think it was worthwhile. Folks, it all goes back to the heart of man, doesn't it? The first step that God made, right? God made the first step, and that was creation. God graciously said in creation, here I am. Matter of fact, he says, here's who I am. Man's first step was to forsake that. God didn't have to do that, but he did, and he, he made it plain, made it clear. That was his first step, graciously. Man says, nah, I don't want no part of that. God's next step was to say, all right, fine. And then he abandoned them to their own sinful desires. God gave them over to their sin. If that's the way you want to live, if that's what you want to pursue, all right, go for it. See? So with a limited knowledge that they had, which was through creation, they had an option, folks. They had an option to not just accept the truth that God is the creator but they also had the option to pursue that. They had the option to worship that very God. But yet it says here in verse 28, they didn't think it was worth it. They didn't think it was worth it. Some other translations may say, they didn't see fit to acknowledge God. Think about that for a second. They didn't even see it fit to acknowledge God. If you ever have any questions about man, that's a good one to go back to. So what happened? Verse 28, still. What happened? God went ahead, he says, and he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Folks, the sin of rejecting God, okay, that, that was the first part, right? There, first part of 28. The sin of of rejecting God, right? It says they didn't even see fit to acknowledge him. That sin is going to come back and bite them, he says. It's that sin of having a rejecting mind. They rejected God. 
that sin of having that rejecting mind is going to become a pathway to what he calls what? A depraved mind, a reprobate mind. Okay? Sin causes or sin produces more sin. When you begin with that, you cannot reject God, folks, and think that anything else is going to transpire. You can't just shove God out of the way. I don't believe you. I don't want you. Go. And think that all is going to be okay. If a godless life, literally, godless, a godless life is what you want, God will give it to you. Along with all of the rotten fruit that's going to come from it. People don't see that part. They just want everything else. Folks, this, this truly brings verse 22 into light. Look back at verse 22 real quick. It's very simple. It says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Folks, listen, the person who starts their worldview, the person who starts their worldview with a denial of God, that's what it starts with, for some reason is touted as wise and discerning. They seem to be the go-to people for the problems, even today. You ever notice that? These are the go-to people. These are the brilliant people. This is the author. This is the PhD. This is the professor from this college or so forth. They go to them as the go-to people. Yet their very worldview starts with there is no God. The Bible says in reality they're not the go-to people. They're the fool. They are the fool. Our society, folks, has arrived at where we are today, which is corrupt and immoral and depraved, and that's from the bottom up. It goes all the way up through every leader we got, okay? It got to where it is today because of those who denied a holy God. We're looking to these people for answers. We are where we are because of them. The very people that we seek to fix the problem are the ones who caused the problem. They start off with no God, and we seek them for the answers. That's the definition of, of, of biblical insanity. It's like asking an, an atheist for advice on a spiritual problem. It's just sheer stupidity. But that's what we do. Going back to verse 28. Paul says that this rejecting mind, the mind that rejected God, which has now become the depraved mind, he says, will do what ought not to be done. Now, ultimately, those things, those things that should not be done, are what's going to be listed in the next three verses. Okay? And once again, we see what they are, we begin to understand how, when we see all these words, these, all this description of sin, we begin to, to understand the thinking process that starts on a hill where there is no God will only lead to a road to ruin. You look at everything that's taking place, everything that happens, you go, oh, okay, now I get it. <laughs> that's what happens when you start here with no God. You're only going to go downhill from there. See? There, is, there, just, there just is no good path to take. 
when the very first thing that comes out of your mouth, the very, the very foundation of your belief is no God, where else are you going to go? See, how many times have all of us, especially for those of us who've been around a little longer, how many times in the last three, four, five decades have we heard, and maybe ourselves have actually said this, that the reason that our society has fallen off the deep end is because we've taken God out of what? Schools. <laughs> Schools. That's next. We've taken God. How many times have we said that? We take every child in the country, every human being, ultimately, because we've all been to school, has to go to school. And yet they're educating them in an anti-God mindset. We've taken God out of schools. We've taken God out of the homes. We've taken God out of government. We've ripped the Ten Commandments off of buildings, right? The entire public square seems to be anti-God. You know, there was a time when even public meetings would take place and they would begin with prayer. Not anymore. Not anymore. There's a lot of truth to this, folks. We've taken God out of everything and we sit back and wonder, what happened? There's a lot of truth to that. Take God out of the, the picture, it is impossible not to have a negatively affected culture. It's just impossible. And we sit here and wonder what the problem is and we look to the very same people who did this. Once again, we go back to, you're the, you're the cause and we're looking for them to, to fix the effect doesn't make any sense. Matter of fact, folks, when we go through these, half of the things that are listed in here, okay, half of the things that are lifted, uh, listed in here are things that uh, our society does and promotes. It's horrible. They're approved in our culture. They're practiced by a majority of the people. And yet God is looking at a, uh, Paul is looking at a depraved mind, the man who rejects God, and then goes all the way down to being a reprobate. And yet half the things in here are practiced in our society. <laughs> we shouldn't be surprised, should we? Let's read the first part of verse 29. He says, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Now, before he, he mentions this, all of these actual sins, he says that they have become uh, full or filled with every kind of these. I think the reason that he uses the word filled here is because there's a void, okay? There's a void. There's this vacuum effect. Folks, when you deny God, and therefore he has no place in your life, he doesn't even exist. There's a natural void there. There's a hole, a vacancy that will get filled. And it's going to get filled with something that is very ungodlike. Because if you deny even the very existence of God, God is nowhere to be found in your mind. He doesn't live. He doesn't exist. He's nowhere. There shouldn't even be a word called God in their mind. Therefore, when that void gets filled, it's going to be ungodly. See, 
Now, as Paul begins to mention these things here, he begins with four words that are fairly broad. Okay, those are fairly broad terms. In other words, they're, they're just not very specific, and they're probably words that the rest of the words can file themselves under. I say probably, okay? What are those words again? What does he say there in verse 29? Wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. Okay? Chances are all of the other words can be filled and put underneath those things. You know, this is depraved. That's evil. That, you know what I'm getting at? Does that make sense to you? So I'm, let's look at those first four just real quick. Wickedness. And by the way, you may have a different translation. I apologize because sometimes they use different words. But the first word that I have is the word wickedness. And wickedness is basically the antithesis of what is righteous. When, we, when you and I use the word wicked, that means it's pretty bad, right? We don't use that word a lot, but when we do, that means it's pretty bad. Matter of fact, this word is translated numerous times as unrighteous. You may even have a translation yourself that says it is unrighteous. It is synonymous with injustice. That which is outside what God says is just. Iniquity can also be a word that is used here. You know, the Bible talks about workers of iniquity. That's the same principle that we're talking about here. This is someone who is literally an enemy of God and lives their very life with that mindset. I hate God. I'm an enemy of God. And, and boy, you can tell. <laughs> That's how you live. Wickedness. Now, for some of you, uh, before we hit the word evil, just in case you have an older translation, sometimes in the older ones, they'll, they'll have the word fornication. The word fornication is not in the best Greek manuscripts, which is why we don't see them in our Bibles today. Okay, if you wonder if I'm going to skip that, I'm not skipping it. It's not in here because it's not in some of the better manuscripts. That being said, fornication is certainly in other areas of Scripture which talks about the problem of man. So if it was there, it wouldn't be an issue because it certainly uh, it works with other areas of Scripture. But the next word that I have here is the word evil. Okay, Evil is a, another word that can describe many actions, once again, as you can understand. Therefore, this word simply describes people who delight in doing wrong, people who delight in doing things that are immoral, okay? Evil is pursuing lawlessness. That is evil. You pursue it. You'll fall into it. You pursue it. Greed, it's a word we all hear many times. Greed is coveting. It's the craving that has to have more. And sometimes, no matter how it's obtained, it's not just a craving, I'm going to obtain it, I'm going to get it any which way I can get it. Okay? Yes, it is the love of money, but it doesn't have to be money. Okay? The mindset of, I have to have more, could be anything. Okay? So don't just think of money. Greed can be a lot of things. And then finally, the last of these four is the word depravity. The, depravity is a word that is very close, if not synonymous, if you will, with the word wickedness. It, it is a total lack of morality. It is a wickedness at heart. An evil person doing evil to others. 
okay? There's probably uh, people in your mind. You might think of the Mexican cartel, the things that they do if you watch the news, the things that they will do and are doing every day. They can care less about women. They can care less about life. They can care less about slaughtering people. That's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. You're getting down to the lowest of the gutter is the person who is depraved. Now, once again, just saying there's a good chance that when Paul wrote this, these four were intended to be a covering, an umbrella um, that are going to be expressed a little more specifically in the what is to come. Okay, those will be obviously more specific. Now, there are 17 specific sins that are mentioned or that, that we're going to follow. Setting aside those four, there are 17 sins that are mentioned here, and I've chosen not to go through each and every one. I'm sure most of us here are mature enough to uh, understand what these words mean, what the sin actually looks like. And I'm sure you probably don't want to see me sit here and define for you 17 different words. But you understand what they are as we go through them, okay? I'm going to read them once again, and I encourage you, if there is a word in here that maybe you don't know what it means or you don't use it in your language, grab another Bible translation and find something that's synonymous that you go, oh, okay, that, that, that I understand. Find it. Okay, but most things in here, we're going to know what it means, and we're probably going to picture what it is. So we know. So I'm sure I don't need to go through each and every one of these. But look at those. Look at those words, starting in verse 29. He says, he uses the word envy. Maybe you also use the word jealous. Murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing As if there are not enough ways to do evil, we're going to invent ways to do evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless. And lastly, they are ruthless. <laughs> That's a pretty sad-looking list. And it, but it's not just a list of sins. It's a list of lifestyles. It's a list of things that people do and a thing that people live by. How sad is that? Okay. Now, in that list are things that we as believers hate to see. Right? We hate to see these kinds of things. Sadly, they do happen in many homes. It happens in some of the neighborhoods that maybe you guys live in. They happen at, at Friday night high school football games, the grocery store. Everywhere you go, everywhere man dwells, you will find some of this. Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe it's a coworker. But what I encourage you to do today is to look at this list, do it later, to see if you find yourself in this list. Okay? See if you find yourself anywhere. It's so easy. We've all done this. Everybody here in this room has done this. It's so easy to look at a list just like this. Okay? Understanding that it is speaking of people who are rebellious. It is speaking of people who are vile, people who are depraved. And they live by those standards. It's, it's easy to look at that and therefore overlook anything that might even remotely belong to you. Okay? Okay? 
I don't resemble that. So we see this list of multiple sins, depravity of man. We don't put ourselves in there. We don't look at it and go, yeah, I, I'm struggling with that. We don't. We just see the evil going on and we put it aside. We never look, am I in there anywhere? Because, folks, you can look back at the text. Have I ever been greedy, envious? Have I ever slandered anyone? Have I ever been arrogant? Right? Disobeyed my parents? I mean, you can just go through these and go, hmm, have I ever done that? Have I, you know, it's a list like this is not something we want to just throw aside, but it is something you at least want to look at and say, is there something in there where I myself, even as a believer, need to work on because, you know, I'm, I'm showing my true nature, my natural uh, depraved nature. So I encourage you to do that and not just to blow by it and think of somebody else, okay? Now, Look at verse 6, or I'm sorry, look at verse uh, 32. It says, although these people, although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those very things, but then it says they approve of those who practice them. Folks, if you want to know the depths of the sinfulness of man, that's it. I know it's horrible. I know it's evil. I know it's depraved. But I want to do it anyway, and I hope that other people join me. That's pretty bad, folks. I know you're thinking I'm speaking of most politicians. I get it. But there's a lot of people involved in this. They know they shouldn't do it. They know the consequences of it. And he says they do it anyway. And then they give approval for others to join them in their detestable ways. He starts this off by saying that people, listen, people who do these things, he said they know God's righteous decrees. It wasn't like, I had no idea. He says they know God's righteous decrees. Now, to use the words of Paul from back in verse 20, they're without excuse. You can't stand and say, why? Well, I, I had no idea this was wrong. I had no idea this was bad. Okay? They cannot claim ignorance. Not only has God given them a limited knowledge, right? We saw that from verses 18 through 20. But we're told actually right here in Romans chapter 2, just probably flip one page over, in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, that God has placed a basic sense of right and wrong on man's heart. You know that? Look at chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Indeed, he says, when the Gentiles, listen to what it says, who do not have the law. Remember, they had, the Jews had a law which told them, this is wrong, this is sinful, this is lawless. And they go through it. He says, when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though... They do not have the law since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness. He's saying they don't have the law, but they do the things by nature for the law because the, the law, they, they have a sense of right and wrong. God has given it to man, even though they didn't have the law like the Jews did. God places it upon 
their hearts. Even if you have never, ever been exposed to Scripture, God created within you a certain standard to know, to understand the standards of righteousness. Okay? Folks, you can go, you can go to tribal communities. These are what are considered fourth world people. We know what third world countries are. Fourth world tribal communities. Folks, they even do things and that they understand are considered wrong. They know this. They don't have papers. They don't have books. They don't have anything like that. They literally, they, they, they hunt. That's what they do to survive every day. You've seen shows, I'm sure, and read books and everything else. Fourth world. But even they have certain standards that they know are wrong, and they will punish their own people. They already know it. And they're less than a third world country because it's placed on their heart, see. Paul says here in verse 32, they know it, and yet they do it anyway, even though it says they deserve death. Think about that for a second. Kind of reminds me of the people who say, ah, fine, I'll go to hell. I'll see all my buddies there. It's that kind of a mindset. Who cares? They know it's that bad. They deserve death, but I'll do it anyway. And this just reminds you of John chapter 3. People love darkness rather than light. And therefore, guess what? He says their deeds are evil. They love darkness instead of light. Light says that's wrong. Light says don't do that. Light says don't have your fun because sin is fun to some people. Light says don't do I don't want to be told that. I want to do whatever I want to do. See? You can submit yourself so much to the evil that is within you that even though the punishment, he says, is death, you will continue to do your evil ways, practicing them and applauding somebody else who comes along. Hey, come on in. Join the gang. Do what we do. What do you think gang initiation does? Just that. You want to come into our gang? You have to kill that person. You have to cut off their hand and bring it to me. That's, this is what gangs do. You've got to be just as evil as we are. Come on in. We want more of you. See? Now, folks, there are some who can do these things and recognize they're wrong, obviously. There are those people. While others are so depraved that they know it's evil and they just want others to copy their example. You don't want to go out and rob, one, just you be the only robber of the store, right? You want to see, you want to see it flooded in all these <coughs> protests, right? You want to see hundreds of people just like you because now you can all do it. You can all get away with it. You can all feel good about yourself because they're all just like me. We'll do it together. See? I believe those kind of people have reached the height of their depravity. They know it's evil. They hate it if it happened to them with a passion, but yet they'll do it and they'll recruit others to do the same. And therefore, I will say again, there's a reason why Paul began this entire section in verse 18, which says, the wrath of God. That's how he begins it. Instead of putting that at the very end by saying, all these people, nope, he begins. He begins it. 
the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and the wickedness of men who suppress the truth. How do they suppress the truth? By their wickedness, he says. They suppress it by their wickedness. Folks, don't be fooled. Man is inherently evil. Period. Okay? Man is not good. Don't listen to people who say, oh, I think men are inherently good. No, they're not even close. And of course, who can define good? It's a pretty subjective term, isn't it? You can get 100 people and 100 different definitions of what good is. But God says there's no one righteous, not even one. Not even one. And we're going to continue to see this as we go through and uh, begin in chapter 2 next time, and we'll continue actually probably to the middle of chapter 3 before we will see the good news that there is this thing called the gospel. And so this, once again, re- let it remind you of the mercy and the grace of God. Is even, as evil as somebody can be, God's grace and forgiveness is more, is greater than that. And so keep that in mind. And uh, as you sometimes get depressed, it's like, man, this is terrible. Um, God is good. And uh, for those of us here today, God has saved us by his grace because none of us deserve anything we have. But we'll continue in that study and see the heart of man. And hopefully it'll give us a different understanding of mankind, why people do things, but certainly the grace of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, uh, for our time of being able to go through this text today. Um, It's a sad text. It's a sad notion. But that being said, we're part of it. We were born into this world with a sin nature, knowing what's right and wrong as we become older. You place it upon our hearts, but yet choosing to do wrong. Father, we thank you that, that you've, you've looked at us, you've looked upon us and given us salvation, forgiven us of our sins, even the ones we haven't committed yet. Lord, how amazing is that? How amazing is the fact that we can look at the heart, we can think of the worst person in the world, the most evil person we can ever think of and know that your grace and your forgiveness is even greater than that. That is truly amazing. And so, Lord, remind us that when we see the evil of man, remind us to show us the greatness and the goodness of God as we continue our study through this. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name.